0: of a fangirl is a web series and podcast created by temple of geek at the core of the project is the importance of telling the stories of women who have found inspiration growth and power through fandom my name is jenna Ren, and i'm the host of the portrait of a fangirl podcast today i have the pleasure of talking with alex catherine how are you today alex i'm good how are you i'm doing great i it's a lovely night
1: lovely time to talk to you well i'm happy to be here so thank you for having me of course
0: So I really would like our listeners today to get to know you and who you are and what you do as a part of the geek community. So can you just please give us a little introduction and tell our audience a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, the introduction I use on my own show is that I am a host, moderator, and gate-crashing party queen. And that is for The Welcome Party, which is a live podcast show on Perception Studio. And it's pretty much an introduction to geekdom. It's your invitation to pop culture. So what we like to do is, hey, we're gonna try out this thing and then we're gonna talk about it. And did you need to know something ahead of time? Did we find that we were missing clues because we didn't watch something or read something? And can we kind of bring people into that fandom with us? And then on top of that, I also am a voice actor on um, Moon Harbor Heroes. It's an actual play podcast where I play Sheva um, based off of my own Jewish heritage. Uh, She was kind of created based in um, Sitting Shiva, which is after somebody passes you, you mourn for seven days. So it, it intertwines with my culture and just puts a little bit of my representation out there. And then, of course, I host and moderate panels at conventions and live events like the Natural History Museum in L.A. and... Yeah, lots of random, geeky things. <laughs> it's very interesting.
0: I especially enjoy the idea of a, um, like a fictional podcast, a storytelling-based podcast. I think that is extremely interesting. How did you get involved with that? I actually did
1: it with an old podcast that I used to do called Ready, Set, Geek. And that is where the welcome party actually stems from. And that was us trying new things and... And this is the newer version of that. And while we were doing that, we partnered with Nerds on a Roll. And we did um, an actual play one shot with their existing characters. And I just, I fell in love with it. I was, it was so much fun to step in. We played a masks game, which is, it's not, it's not like Dungeons and Dragons. It's a little different because it's a little easier, truthfully, if you're trying to get into role-playing games there's less rules less restrictions and it's just a lot more relaxed right and um so I started there and then did our own version a few years later and then auditioned for Moon Harbor Heroes and was lucky enough to get to be a part of this season
0: that's so fun something we always ask our guests is about how they view the term fangirl and what that means to you so what does being a fangirl mean to you and has that
1: changed over time Changed a lot over time, for sure. Um, I was not part of this community when I was growing up. And so for me, a fangirl was somebody who just saw a celebrity and was just so in love with them that they just forgave them for pretty much anything and wanted anything they were a part of, right? You know, like a believer, or nowadays like a Swifty. And I thought it had to have a relation to that celebrity. And... Then I kind of stepped into this world and it was like, oh, you can just, you can just be a fangirl. And that just means that you really, you enjoy something past the point of just, I watched it, I liked it and I've moved on. You became a fan and it totally changed that negative outlook I had on the term. And to me, that's what being a fangirl is now today. It's it's being a fan of something and being a girl and you know, that's okay.
0: I've noticed really a trend among a lot of the women I've spoken to where there's this sense of fangirling being about passion. And I think that's kind of like what you're touching on. It's more, it's beyond just, um, you know, that idea of kind of when you're a teen and you're really over the top about something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's beyond, I just hung up a poster in my room and I know all this information about all these people and their actions and it, it really comes down to, I fell in love with the characters and the story and I relate and I have that connection to it that makes it a safe space for me.
0: Right, I feel like this is a great time to be a fangirl and a millennial because it's very (laughs) cyclical in culture right now. Like I remember being uh, in school when the first prequels for Star Wars came out and now we're back on the whole Hating Christensen thing and it just reminds me of how cyclical culture can kind of be. Totally.
1: I went to that. I was there in theaters for that.
0: So was I. I was, I remember each one coming out, the prequels, and it's funny to see now this hype of the same level
1: again. Okay, but I'll be honest, I went kicking and screaming. I was like, I don't want to go. This is going to be lame. I want no part in this. <laughs> I've
0: come a long way. <laughs> right. And I think that that is something in fangirl co- culture you see as well. I think sometimes people are reticent to get, give into something that's such a big pop culture staple. Yes. Right? There's that, that idea of, I, I want to be a little different, kind of, right?
1: <laughs> yes. And uh, sometimes I think it's just so intimidating. Like, where do you start? How do you get into it? And, you know, where is that first step? It's, it's a lot.
0: When was the first moment you really
1: found yourself fangirling? So going back to fangirling over celebrity, um, when I was a teenager, I actually interned at a tween magazine that no longer exists. Um, It was called Cool Magazine, K-E-W-L, like cool. And um, I got to be at an interview. I was just the intern and my job was like to get autographs from people so we could do giveaways and things like that. And I got to ask, they knew I was a fan, so they let me ask one question to Kenny Ortega. And if people don't know, he is the choreographer for High School Musical, but as I am a millennial, he was the choreographer for Newsies. Yes. Which is what got me into dance and theater and choreography. So um, my question was meant to be somewhere along the lines of do we ever think that we'll make Newsies a Broadway show, which they did. They did. And I'm gonna take full credit for that. Um, but I stumbled through the entire sentence and I don't think any of it actually formed real words. And it was probably one of the most embarrassing (laughs) recorded moments of my life. Have you gone back and and watched it or listened to it? I I don't even think it exists in the universe anywhere. If somebody finds it from this, I'm going to be really astounded. But uh, no, I have not. I've not seen it. I've never rewatched it because it was painful to relive you know, you lay down in bed and like you play it in your head at two in the morning going, why did I say or do that? That's that moment. for me.
0: <laughs> You know, it probably wasn't as bad as you think it was, but when you can't go back and look at it, you probably imagine the worst you
1: possibly can. Right. Like, Kenny Ortega is never going to know who I am, but I have this fear in my head that if he ever saw me, he'd be like, oh, no, it's that girl. And then just turn around and go to the
0: but you did give him the idea to make Newsies a Broadway play, so he I should remember I take full you.
1: credit for that. Yeah, I, I doubt he ever, you know, never crossed his mind before 16-year-old <laughs> me came into his life. What are you currently fangirling over? Um, I've gotten really big into anime. So Fruits Basket is one of my go-to, like, replay shows. And then um, I've made a huge mistake, and I started One Piece. I am 47 episodes in of about a thousand and whatever it is. And I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. I'm having a great time with it. But I'm a fully aware that the commitment that I'm making and the choice, and I went with subbed. Usually when I do a big binge, I go with dubbed, like uh, Inuyasha, I did dubbed because it was a 600 something episodes and I was like oh it's gonna be a lot Um, so yeah I really made a mistake because I can't change once I start with one I have to stick with it so yeah I am uh, (laughs) am going to do a one piece binge and see if I can knock this thing out before the writer's strike (laughs) ends. that's so funny because that is the
0: exact reason I have not watched one piece and I am a huge anime fan Um, I cannot commit to over a thousand episodes so I really applaud you on that (laughs)
1: you we'll see how i'll let you know <laughs> <So> the <laughs> first the
0: first anime i ever watched was naruto and that's another one where it's like uh-huh. 800 or some odd episodes but it was the first anime i watched so i wasn't aware of anything about the anime community and i think now if i saw that on paper i'd be like oh i can't i can't sit down and watch 800 <laughs>
1: episodes yeah I mean, I was proud of myself for Inuyasha. I was like, oh, I knocked that out in a month. That was 600 episodes. I could do anything. But I dubbed because reading, you know, and you could play video games so I could play Animal Crossing and watch Inuyasha. And it wasn't a big deal. But this is like commitment. And I feel like I have made a mistake. But I'm doing
0: it. (laughs) I'm going to have to watch it. A lot of people are especially um, raving with the live adaptation. People are loving the, the live one.
1: Yes, which I'm avoiding until since that is technically struck work, even though it's anime, it's live action. So I'm trying to avoid that one, but I thought this would be kind of a good way to be part of the conversation. I'm now avoiding the spoilers that are coming out with it, but I'm sticking with supporting WJ and SAG and kind of staying in the safe zone.
0: So you are well known for being both a moderator and a panelist at some of the biggest conventions in pop culture. And this summer at San Diego Comic-Con, you were on several panels. How did that come to be? And how did you become part of these panels?
1: So this this is kind of a fun one for me, um, because this is where I get to say that it's not the nepotism that people think it is. Uh, (laughs) My partner um, runs his own company called Intermyth, and it's to help people who want to create panels, to create content anything like that it's just to help them get off the ground and i very sternly said i was not going to be a part of it and then very quickly was a part of it and i helped from meetings to collaborating helping choose who's going to be on the panel what the panel topics are it's just full content creation of it and with that and creating um a lot of the questions for the panels And I've been moderating for a few years now, just with our own show, it just kind of became the obvious choice where it was like, well, you're already a moderator. You moderate all our stuff. You already know the panel. You've been part of it from the ground up. Why not just be part of it now? And then I've had other people where they had hired Intermyth and part of that was they wanted me as their moderator included in that package. But people see my husband's name and instantly go, oh, nepotism oh, you're there because of him. Not, oh, you earned this. You've worked hard. You've been doing panels for years. I mean, Comic-Con, LA Comic-Con, Ontario, San Diego, WonderCon. I mean, you name it. Anything kind of local. I've, I've been a part of it. And again, Natural History Museum. So I've worked really hard to get to this, to this point of, making a lot of mistakes, um, finding out what my flow is. And am I the best moderator? No, of course not. There's always gonna be somebody better out there. But I feel like I have worked really hard in just starting from the ground up where we did really small conventions. And I could work, even now we do small conventions where it's like, okay, I wanna work this panel out. Let's do it at a smaller place. So if I make a fool of myself, it's fine. And then kind of build up to these bigger ones but because there's a name attached, people instantly discredit it, which I find very unfair because it's never the other way around. It's never like, oh, you're moderating a panel and your husband is on it. Did you put him on it because of nepotism? It, it doesn't turn that direction. I'm sure that that's got to be somewhat a gendered thing, right? Oh, 100%, 100%. And, you know, he's very supportive of everything I do and everything I'm a part of, but it is tough and frustrating when you're working in the same industry in the same world and his stuff always I mean he deserves the credit he does a heck of a lot of work and I'm never going to discount the hard work he does just like he doesn't discount the hard work I do but a lot of people in the outside world do but yeah really it stems from just doing our own podcast doing mini panels we did panels at colleges and then really small conventions and then started applying for the bigger ones And it was just doing it over and over and getting the practice and going off stage after being like, oh, my God, that was the worst thing I've ever done. Why did I ask those questions? How did I do this? How can I be better the next time? And then adapting it each time I stepped on stage to the point where at San Diego, I was uh, moderating five out of the six panels I was on. That's fantastic. And it's, you know, you were the
0: logical choice to kind of get involved in this world. You had the experience and like you said, worked your way up. So it makes sense that you would be attached to this sort of company and this sort of work. But I do hope eventually people will see it that way too, you know. At San Diego Comic-Con this year, you were on a panel with our producer, Monica. We love Monica. shout
1: out Monica. You
0: were on a panel... That was Content Creation Brand Management for Beginners. And after the convention, Monica talked a lot about how thoughtful you were in your approach to content creation and how you came to find your authentic self through that. Can you share with us a little bit about how that journey of being authentically yourself came to be?
1: Yeah. um, So I'll tell kind of a little bit more detailed or quicker version. We'll find out as we go. Um, (laughs) But the story I told at the panel was that we first started Geek Say What at college as a radio show for extra credit. And this is what got me into this world. Cause again, I was not part of it. My best friend was, and the cute boy that I was dating at the time was, which is the man I married now. But my best friend and I were in this class and you got an automatic grade up if you did a show on their college radio. So I was like, cool, let's do it. I'm gonna drag this guy into it. We'll make it happen. And Geek Say What was this, well, the first iteration of it was this really stupid idea that I had where they were going to be talking about geek stuff, and I was going to be very similar to Alex from Wizards of Waverly Place. And I was going to be too cool for school, didn't care, uninterested. But you know, she always has that kind of soft side where she actually does care, but plays like she doesn't. So that that was the intention, which did not work. Uh, at all 0% for two main reasons one i'm not a good actress so trying to be like ah, i don't care just made me sound like a bee it didn't <laughs> actually like create any investment in me as a person and as we kind of started doing this stuff i went to my very first convention i started you know trying different things and it was introductory and i realized i actually liked it and then I was like, well, why am I making fun of this stuff that I'm enjoying? And so that's where we were like, oh, we need to pause and try again. And that's kind of where Re- Geek Say What changed and then eventually became Ready, Said Geek and eventually became The Welcome Party. And it's always been focused on introductory education because I felt like as I was getting into this stuff, I'd step into a room and be like, "Oh, I've never heard of Doctor Who. What is that?" And then it was like, "Oh, you haven't heard of this thing?" Oh. And it's like, "No." The other, the correct answer would have been, "Oh my gosh, you've never heard of it. Let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you how to watch it. Let me tell you that it's intimidating, or that the first season's a little cheesy, but you can, you know, give it, a, get past that. Just like some other, you know, Parks and Rec and The Office. Right? There's some shows that just have a rough first season." And you're not going to like every... Do- I mean, you're right, you could go on and on in any way to help somebody get into it. And And as I was hitting roadblock after roadblock of just trying to step into these fandoms, I was like, well, why? Why am I hitting... Is it because I'm a girl? Because he doesn't have a problem and he doesn't have a problem. But also, they both grew up in this world. They were reading comic books. And so is it just that they have knowledge and I don't have knowledge? Well, what about other people? And that was kind of where the authentic self kind of started coming out was I was like, you know, I, I want to help. I, I don't want anybody to feel the way I feel right now. And everything I've done since then, whether it's right or wrong, you know, they don't always work out the way they should, but I try so hard to make it just a welcoming community. And, and that's why we added gate crashing into my, my intro is because I just, I hate that feeling of like that gatekeepy, Sorry, you weren't here from the beginning. You can't be. Who cares? You're here now. Join us. The more more we are, the more people we have, the bigger the community, the more fun, the more we can learn. So it just, it totally changed my perspective about who I was and what I wanted to do in this space. Do you have a list of do's and don'ts for content creating? My do's is to be honest with your benefits. And I know how that sounds, but, you know, I told you I worked at a Tweed Magazine. I've been an extra in TV and movies and music videos. And, and I was in that kind of LA space for a while. And the way that people use each other and lied to each other. And I mean, it was like watching an episode of Big Brother where you're like, oh, that person's just saying that so they can get this person to do that and go here. I I hate that. I hate that feeling. It's so gross to me. And of course it's a part of every, right? It's part of your nine to five job. People do that. It's just, I, I really, really hate it. And so my biggest do is to be honest with the benefits. If I'm asking you to be on my show. Yes. Yeah, sure. There's a benefit for you. My fans are going to see you, but there's a benefit to me. You have a big following or there's a benefit to me. I love your work. I love what you create? Oh my gosh! I want to get more women on screen, and you know you're a great representation of that. Or I want to get more cosplay out there. I want to get more people of color. I want to have people of the alphabet mafia, like or LGBTQIA plus. If you're not part of that side of um, TikTok, but it's that honest, that honesty of like I'm bringing you on because this thing is important to me. I realized that saying that and being honest with it. I was more likely to get those guests to come on because they understood my intentions. I I have a friend who's a huge cosplayer. She's a fantastic anime cosplayer. Tons of followers, like in the hundreds of thousands. like. And I, I wanted her on my show, but I wanted her on my show because she's fun. And we were talking about anime and having a girl come on to talk about anime is just the coolest, it's the coolest feeling in the world. And I had to make sure that she knew that because so many people have had her on or had her be part of things because of her numbers. And I never, I never want to be that person. And I never want to make somebody else feel like that's what they're on for. You're not my guest because you have a following. You're my guest because of who you are as a person or what your knowledge is or what kind of fandom you're part of. and, And being honest and sharing that has just really opened that door of more people saying yes, because they know what I'm looking for. Right.
0: It's a more authentic approach. And, you know, conversely, you see the uh, the same happen with people who don't necessarily have a large following. Like they might have something to offer the community or whatever niche they're involved in. But, you know, social media has this created this world where it's about numbers and it can definitely, I think, hinder what you see and,
1: bringing attention to that is really important. I mean, it, it really, really is. And it's it's really changed how we've been able to get guests because because we know exactly what it is that we're trying to do when we say it. Hey, we want more Asian representation this week. Would you be willing to come on our show? And they probably love that. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh my gosh, yes. You want me to represent? Yes, absolutely. I did a charity stream for the Rainbow Railroad. And um, that's... It helps people who are part of the uh, gay community get out of places that are unsafe for them worldwide. And all of my guests were part of the gay community. That was a big thing for me. But being able to reach out to people, I'm I'm bisexual myself. And I was still a little nervous about reaching out and being like, hey, hey, you're gay, right? Like, (laughs) do you want to be on this thing? Because, you know, so you have to just be, you know. But I wanted them to know, like, <laughs> I want you on here because you're part of that community and I want you to raise money for your own community with me. So, right, you know, it's, it's cool and it's fun,
0: but, you know, sometimes it's a little scary. <laughs> representation, I think, is super important. Um, just the other day, I was speaking with a friend about um, body positive representation. And, you know, when I was younger, if I had seen um, a woman who looked like me, you know, a girl who wasn't, a Christina Aguilera, thin kind of girl, it would have changed the way I grew up. It would have changed my outlook on pop culture and what I thought I was capable of doing. And I think now people like us, we're we're making sure that the younger generation doesn't feel that way.
1: Yeah, and my relationship with food is awful, but you know, I look back at my pictures because I was an athlete, I was a dancer, and the amount of times people told me I was fat And I needed to lose weight and I needed to change what I was eating. And I look at those pictures and at my fat, I mean, I'm not my fattest now, but like at my fattest then, or my biggest, then I was so thin. I was so thin. I just was top heavy. And And you can't control the top heavy. Sometimes (laughs) the genetics do what the genetics do. And I'm, you know, but oh my gosh, the relationship that I have with food now, if I could, save people from that same feeling. There's not enough money in the world to say what that would mean to to save women or even men from that feeling. Because, you know, we all have it. There's those body images and those pressures. and And when you see that person on screen, then you kind of go to the, you know you shouldn't go to the comments, but you go to the comments and then you instantly regret going to the comments. And that too, like I would love to get more people out there, more people on screen, more people on panels, more people, that just are and they're happy and they're living life and you know, it is what it is. I am who I am and you don't like it, worry about your own diet, like. <laughs>
0: right, and it takes long. I mean, speaking at least from personal experience, uh, it took, you know takes 35 years for me to still, I'm still working on it. And it's nice to see people understand that and in all aspects in gender and sexuality and for ethnicities and bringing in some sort of inclusion is something that's extremely important because people need to see this. Younger generations need to see that this is, you can be part of the community,
1: you know? Yeah, if they can do it, you can do it. And if you're not seeing yourself on screen, that means it's time for you to get, get out there and create it and be that person that you wanna see so the next person can see you.
0: You have been involved in a lot of different aspects of content creation and fandom life. How do you come up with ideas for content and how do you figure out what projects you want to take on?
1: I come up with a million ideas. Let me start there. Uh, My ADHD brain is just like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And I watched this thing and it inspired this thing. And now I want to do this and I want to go here. But reality sets in and I'm lucky enough that I've surrounded myself with really incredible people and I've built a community and a safe space just from the work that I've done and the people that I've met and kind of just retaining those relationships because they're all amazing people. And I can kind of go to them and be like, hey, I have this idea. Can I bounce it off of you? And there's no fear. I know they're not going to turn around and steal it. I know they're not going to just be like, you're an idiot. Bye. But I also know they're not just going to be yes men. Like the people that I go to, they will sit there and be like, okay, I have questions. Boom, 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 boom. And if I can answer those questions, I can take it to the next step. And if I look at those questions and the holes that they poked, and I feel like I'm Donald Duck trying to plug all the holes on the boat. then it's the wrong idea. And I know that I need to kind of shelf it and put it away. And sometimes those questions are as simple as, well, you're what projects are you working on right now? And can you retain those projects and take this on? And that one question, that first question is always like, ah, okay, I need to go back to the drawing board. I a lot of what I do is inspiration from the amazing people around me. A lot of it is inspiration from myself, not seeing Jewish culture usually represented, created Shiva, right? It's it's always, you know, the guy, the Jewish guy who's trying to figure out his religion and move out of his mom's basement, right? We have, or people have seen eight crazy nights and the only thing they know about Judaism is Adam Sandler. And I took this more serious concept created this character. And then she kind of just came to life and did not, was not the voice I expected. Like I made the character, I started talking and then I was like, oh, I guess that's how she sounds. Because I didn't know until I started playing her who this person was going to be. And the welcome party, we have meetings and I'll reach out to my friends and I'll be like, hey, um, I want to make a change to the welcome party. I feel like we're not doing enough representation. I feel like." We're, we're reviewing things, but we're not introducing anything that's out of the mainstream. How do we change that? And then we'll sit there and we figure it out. And it may take two or three meetings and a whole lot of change in the background. But because I went to these amazing, talented, smart people around me, and I knew that I was not the smartest person in the room, I was able to adapt and change and make these things come to life. Or realize that they were way out of reach and that I needed to focus on the things in front of me. But all of it is because I surrounded myself with incredible people. So my recommendation, if people are trying to get into this, is have people you trust. Know who you're going to go to when you just need that support. Like, I do sometimes need a yes man. I need somebody to be like, "Yep, you got this. You can do it. Go for it. And I have the person that's going to poke holes and ask me a million questions. And I have the person who's going to reality check me on time. You're working a nine to five. You're on these projects. Do you have time to take this on too? So I know who, who I'm going to and what I need from them. And they know it. And I'm honest again, tell people what you need. Hey, I just need support. Hey, I need you to figure this out and tell me where I'm wrong. Cause this seems too easy. And I know things are gonna hit the fan and it's not gonna work the way I I think it is. Can you help me plan ahead? And find your trust and your support. And if you don't have it, we're on the internet, right? Like people, you can reach out to me. My social media is out there. If I can help somebody launch something and get their face out there and create something, I'm gonna do it. There's discords for it, a million different social media platforms, pick one. Find somebody, don't don't reach for the people who have a million followers because they're not going to answer you. Most of their DMs are blocked. Go on Twitch and go to somebody who has maybe a smaller following. Start there and start talking to them and talk in their chats and get in their Discord and then go to the next step and who else do they follow and who did they, you know, raid and okay, they raided this person, they trust this person. And then all of a sudden you've built a community out of nowhere and now you have people you can trust. So find, find your people. Right, it makes you
0: a better creator as well, because then you're thinking about the right questions when you create your next project, I would think. Definitely. (laughs) We're currently in the midst of a writers and actors strike in Hollywood. And as a show of solidarity, many content creators are not talking about their favorite TV shows or movies. How have you been managing your content since the writer's strike
1: started? It's been so tough. I mean, the writer's strike kicked in right before San Diego Comic-Con. And we had our entire panel for the welcome party, which was uh, one of our after party games. And it was literally just best Pixar character, the entire concept, the entire panel. And at first we were like, well, we'll be okay because, you know, it's past work. And then they came out and said, if anything were made today and it would be struck today, it's considered struck work. And we went, well, crap. So (laughs) we had to do a hard adjust and we had people trying to figure out if they had to drop out left and right because we had people who are part of SAG. We had a strike captain. I mean, we had so many changes that we were making just for the convention. Uh, We ended up doing best uh, nostalgic toy from the 90s and it all worked out. So that, you know, that was very stressful. And with the show itself, uh, we started just playing video games for a little bit And now we're kind of getting back into content, but we're still staying away from anything that's considered Struck. So we're going to be doing Bowfury, which is um, an anime. If people haven't seen it, it's adorable, very lighthearted and fun Uh, video game one. I don't like anything too sad or scary, highly recommend. Um, And then we're going to be playing some board games on stream. We're going to be having guests. We're just trying to kind of adapt and adjust as we go. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. I try not to wear any of my wardrobe that struck work. I try not to post anything on social media. Even today, I think it's the most I've talked about anything that struck just in, you know, our conversation, but I've tried so hard to avoid and support. And anytime I sit there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. I'm not even part of SAG. I'll probably never be big enough to be part of SAG. And then I remember this frustrating little window in my life. For somebody else, it's, oh my gosh, I can't feed my kids. I can't put a roof over my head because they won't pay me the fair wages to be able to do this thing. And I just sometimes have to reality check myself and go, look, it's a bummer. We're going to play Jackbox again. Is that what I want? No. Is that opening the community and getting people into fandoms? No, of course not. But am I showing support and solidarity to the people who created those fandoms, to the people who gave us these worlds that we're in? Yeah, and I think that's that's the most important thing. The how and the, you know, that's a whole lot of juggling. And as things change, you know, video games may be going on strike. We're just figuring it out as we go every minute and just be like okay is this considered struck work no okay safe hey guys we're going to be talking about this we we read a comic book it's been years since we've done a comic book but it's safe and that's still part of the community and a place for people to be so we're just trying to keep our community intact together and support while we're supporting the people who are really putting their life livelihoods on the line What advice do you have
0: for fangirls who are passionate about fandom and maybe want to start creating some content of their own?
1: Do it. (laughs) That's, that's really the biggest thing is to do it. It doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's absolutely perfect and has a million views and none of that matters. I'm I'm never gonna make a living off of this. I'm never gonna quit my nine to five. I'm not doing this to be famous. Nobody's gonna recognize me walking down the street, but I i love what I do. And I've had people talk to us after panels and say that, oh my gosh, this was the first panel I've ever seen where everybody on that panel was a person of color. Not a single person was white. I've never seen a panel like that. We did the very first Filipino panel at san diego comic-con that they've ever had and then you know we've done the rainbow railroad where we had somebody message us privately coming out of the closet because of what we did i mean just we're little we're nobody we're, we're nobody big we're not a big splash we're a tiny little pebble in a tiny little pond but i made a difference to somebody and if i make a difference to somebody and then that person who's watching this or listening, who's always wanted to create, if you create something and then you make a difference to somebody and then they create something and that's going to just keep trickling. And you don't realize the effect that you had somebody listening to this show right now, listening to you and me talk who they helped and helped and helped and helped and how that dominoed into somebody who's going to make a huge difference in the world. So my best and biggest advice is to just, just do it. Just break that first barrier of the fear and start it. And then you can always make changes and adapt and adjust later.
0: You know, that's something that even I've experienced here. I remember when we were first starting out, um, our producer Monica would say, make sure you listen to your episodes. And she said, make sure you listen. You're going to feel really awkward and you're not going to like it probably. And you're going to really critique yourself and judge yourself. And especially if you're a perfectionist, but that's how you learn and that's how you grow. And it's the whole idea of Passing on what you love, right? It is. You're right. It's worth it because you grow. On the podcast, we often find ourselves talking about safe spaces in fandom and how sometimes there's a tendency to dismiss women in fandom spaces. Now, you've kind of touched on this a bit. So have you encountered anything like that? And how did you get through it?
1: Uh, When we first started, so I'm going to go all the way back to our geek, say what, ready, set, geek era, I would run up to people, no shame, no shame. I didn't know who half those people were, didn't care. And I was like, hey, we want to interview you, or can we do this quick video, or can we do it? And people just said yes. They were happy. They were willing. It didn't matter what it was. They were just happy and willing to do it. And then all of a sudden, I got engaged. And I noticed the amount of people that said yes, specifically men in the community, went down. I would ask them if they would be a part of the show, be on you know, a video, an episode, whatever. And their engagement, their, the way they interacted with me had just completely changed. So all of a sudden I stopped wearing my ring at conventions and that turned again. All of a sudden everybody was saying, yes, people were willing. And I know I am a friendly, flirty person. You have, you exist and you breathe. I will probably flirt with you. I know who I am. I'm well aware. we're self-aware yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean I can fix it so you know it was never my intention to be like oh I'm trying to flirt with you and I'll offer my body so you'll do this thing I'm just I'm just a friendly person who lacks shame but I did notice that the ring made the difference then we got married and I was like you know what I'm married and I'm happily married and I want that to be part of who I am I don't want to shy away from that and we never mentioned it on the show either we kept our relationship completely separate from our podcast from everything and then we got engaged and we posted it and we posted it on our youtube channel the engagement was very cute all of a sudden we got this comment of oh that makes sense the only reason she's on this show is because of her vagina and that some guy likes it or something very graphic along those lines and i thought wait a sec i created this show like geeks say, what was my baby? It was, I was in school. It was my concept. I named it. I It was all, and then I brought these guys on with me and it just happened that I was dating one of the guys and we've created it together since I'm not taking credit for what we have now that, that we're a team. But all of a sudden, nobody cared that I'd been on the show before. But the moment I was attached to another person in a relationship, I was only on it because of who I was sleeping with. And that's where the persona of Alex Catherine came from. It's my middle name. And I realized that because my husband and I have the same last name, it's on our business cards when it's on my panel placard. All of a sudden, I'm only up there because of that. When I talk to people who know us, even, you know, people I work with where I was like, oh, yeah, we created six panels and I'm on five of them or whatever it is. So I was like, oh, that's a lot of nepotism. It's like, no, it's not. I worked my butt off to be here. You don't even know what I do, but because we're attached. And again, it's never the other side. Nobody treated him differently. Nobody cared that he and I had the same last name. Nobody questioned why he was on the show. He was brought on the show because we were dating, but I'm always the one that gets pushed to the side, shut down. I'm always the one who benefits from the the nepotism. and, And it's so, it's so frustrating because it's always so condescending and it's so discounting to who we are and what we do. You know, oh, you do you do this show. Well, did you get it because you're friends with this person? Oh, they just gave you that show, right? You couldn't have worked this hard for it. It's like, no, I, I didn't, you didn't. We, we all got here because of something we did or created, or maybe we were just in the right place at the right time. It doesn't mean we don't work hard where we are now. Even if I got put on the show because we were dating, Let's let's just say that that's what would have happened. That didn't change the two years of work that I did. That didn't change the panels that we did and the conventions and the people and the right. I still worked my butt off once I got there, and so it's always really tough to have that and to navigate that because I've changed my name a million times on the show where I was just Alex, just Alex Catherine, just Alex of my last name. Okay. Maybe I'll just be Alex. Maybe I'll go by Allie. Maybe I'll like the amount of times I tried to change my name because I could not figure out how to put my authentic self out there and separate myself from this relationship at the same time was so tough.
0: Right. But now, like you kind of touched on, your husband didn't have to worry about these things. He wasn't out there trying to figure out how he could change his name or market himself in a different manner. It's not, I mean, an equal. He
1: did because he wanted to sound less ethnic, um, because he found that people responded to his emails more, but not for being a man, right? But that's a, that's a whole issue in and of itself that he had to change because of his ethnicity. Oh, so all around, <laughs> but it's been a whole, it's been a whole thing. Uh, but definitely, nobody ever looked at him and thought, "Oh, you're there because of your wife." So
0: yeah, it's not an equal path, if you will. Never is. <laughs> what do you look for in fandom communities?
1: Uh, I look for people who are going to be welcoming. Uh, we kind of talked about it earlier, but if I ask you a question, I'm there to learn. If I ask a question, I want—I genuinely want to know. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother asking. I don't have the time or the energy for that. So if I want to know something and you just blow me off or insult me, then that's a community I'm instantly going to step out of, you know, Uh, Dead by Daylight is a really good example. I am trash at that game, absolute trash. And when I played it with my friends, you know, we were silly and we were fun. And one of my friends was the killer. And he felt so bad for me that he kept picking me up and carrying me to the exit so I could escape. That made it fun, right? And when we play Among Us and I dance on one of their bodies instead of reporting it, or scream that I need an adult because I'm not allowed to report only an adult can report and I need an adult that's just being stupid right and then you have the people that get sweaty with it and it's like oh my gosh that's not how you play and you have to do this exact thing and I have to be the best and and you took 10 seconds at that task and it only takes nine seconds so I know that you're the you're faking it and all of a sudden the fun is out and it's it's a challenge, right? Oh, you like the show. Can you name name this one episode? Can you name this this character? Actually, I'm um, actually, you know, like it it instantly takes the enjoyment and the pleasure and the passion and it makes it a competition or a quiz or a test. This is not anything anybody owns, right? Nobody owns a fandom. And so when I'm stepping into one I want to see that I can step into it and that somebody's going to say, oh, hey, oh, you want help? Oh, let me let me guide you. Let me assist you. Let me teach you.
0: As somebody, looking at it as someone who would be welcoming another person into a fandom, I would think you want to share that excitement. You know, you want to say, oh my gosh, you're into this anime now. It's my favorite thing. Let's talk about it. And that one person can make a difference.
1: Huge. And, you know, that's a, let's take that example, right? So... I'm watching, I'm, let's say I go, I'm going to watch One Piece. One Piece has a huge fandom, right? They have people who have committed to this thing. And I say, oh, I, I think I'm going to watch it dubbed. And somebody instantly, oh, you're well, you're not a real and, right? Like that moment, that one moment could change whether I watch it or don't watch it ever in my life. And now am I going to recommend it to the next person if I got scared out of it because I just wanted to watch it while I play video games at home. Or I wanted to watch it while I fold laundry and I can't read and fold laundry at the same time. You know, whatever it is, and people have children and they're, you know, doing other tasks. Not everybody can just sit for hours on end. And so that that those swift one second comments could change the trajectory of somebody's fandom, their interests, and eventually friend groups. And so I really look for those key things when I'm trying to get into a fandom.
0: And along those lines, what would you say are red flags for
1: the fandom community? Challenges. Anytime somebody's challenging you, insulting you, the, oh my God, you've never watched this with that tone. I look for how people communicate. If, if it's online, I try to avoid the online. I'll be honest, I am not a good writer. So I find that things that I put into written word don't always come off the way they're meant to. Um, So it makes it a little harder for me. There's a lot of anxiety when I'm like trying to write in a discord. I love when somebody's like, oh, I've never heard of this thing, what is it? And then people share links versus, oh, I've never heard of this thing. And then people are like, ew, why are they in this group? Get them out of here. A lot of that you can look at admins or moderators when you're talking about anything online, right? Like look at what the mods do because they're setting the tone. They're gonna be your big red flags right there. If you see a mod acting up, being insulting, being rude, that's the tone for the whole group. If you go to a cosplay and somebody makes a comment about the amount of money you spent, the amount of time you put into it, whether it's store-bought, anything, anything that's gonna come off condescending, insulting, or just dismissive, it's a red flag for that group. Now, what I will put out there is it is a big world. So although there are crappy people in every group, right? I mean, we know that a lot of fandoms are awful and bully actors and bully people. I promise you that there are good people in every community. It just sometimes takes a little bit of work to find them. So if you like something, I promise you there's somebody out there that likes it too, who will be welcoming. And again, if you're not finding that community, create it. That's the perfect opportunity. If you'd be like, you know what? Everybody I've met who likes One Piece is so rude. I'm going to jump on Discord and I'm going to make a Discord for One Piece. And I'm going to invite anybody who wants to be nice and talk about it. And you'll be amazed how many people will flock. So it really is just creating the space you want to see. I know I kind of turned that slightly, but... No, that actually, I
0: think, is a pretty great place for us to wrap it up today, actually, on that sentiment. Thank you so much, Alex. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that you are um, available on
1: social media. Would you like to share your handles with us? Yeah, um, my handle is AlexyGalaxy, A-L-I-X-Y, G-A-L-I-X-Y. And that's on? Instagram, Twitter, slash X, although I rarely use... Twitter, um, blue sky, TikTok. Um, my most active is usually Instagram and that's still rarely. Um, and then you can find the welcome party, the welcome party pod on YouTube and Instagram. And then I'm on perception studios, Twitch. So twitch.tv slash perception studio.
0: Alex, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time and effort here today.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun and I love geeking out. So this is, this has been a blast and thank you for what you guys do because honestly we talked about representation and I went back and looked at your work with the moment you guys invited me on and you you're doing it. You guys found a space and we needed more voices and you were like, let's do it. And you're putting them out there. So thank you for what you guys are creating.
0: This is going to wrap up this episode of the Portrait of a Fangirl podcast. We want to thank our guest, Alex Catherine, and everyone who tuned in today. If you have any questions or comments, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at Portrait of a Fangirl. You can also find us across all social media and on YouTube as Temple of Geek. If you'd like to check out any of our other episodes or shows, please visit us at templeofgeek.com.